Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Frame of Reference podcast. Hope you're all doing well. I really mean that. It's it's not just the beginning of an email or a text message. Mental well-being is something I really wanted to focus on for the last few years. Um, something that has been brought up to the top of things, as most of us are talking about it. You know, as it pertains to work, as it pertains to life. You know, pre and post pandemic, it's still a major topic of discussion. You know, just as we're learning about how to train our bodies, we should also learn how to train and exercise our minds. You're going to see more episodes on this as I talk to more people about mental health. And honestly, the more you learn about the mind, the better you go about when you sort of do all the tasks at hand that you have, you know, and in these episodes, my hope is if I can even improve one person's mindset and outlook, I'll take that as a win. In this episode, I chat with Anna Lanier. As a suicide survivor at the age of 19, child of an alcoholic, She'd been looking for strategies to overcome depression for a long time. Studying psychology wasn't enough. At the age of 38, she discovered the right formula to overcome depression without meds or therapy. We discussed some of these strategies, some of her thinking, and how logic, patience, kindness, and ambition can go a long way to help one overcome mental hurdles. Her website is annalanier.com and she has a very helpful YouTube channel that cuts a lot of these strategies, her thoughts, and some of these processes into very digestible bits and pieces. So you can check her out on YouTube as well. So without further ado, this is our chat with Anna Lanier. Great. Hi, Anna. How's it going? Hey, Ashish. Very nice to meet you. <laughs> very nice to meet you, too. I'm just, I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. As I was saying, mental health is something that I personally find uh, as a, probably one of the most important topics, uh, especially in the last two years. Um, what has made you so interested in this topic, uh, just, you know, off the bat? So I lived in a very painful life for 27 years of my life. And I thought every day that there is something wrong with me, that there is something wrong with my family because they were living in a lot of pain. To find out um, at the age of 38 that there is nothing wrong with me. I was just missing some skills and some strategies. And as many people out there, they consider themselves broken or they consider themselves that, you know, there is something wrong with them. I really want to, you know, shout out to everybody that, you know, there is nothing wrong with you. I think that's a very important message, especially for a lot of my listeners and just generally anybody listening to this podcast and other uh, people like just around my age, especially because I find a lot of times when we're younger, we think we're, you know, uh, resilient and we can handle a lot. 
And we often let things like stress and depression run in the background. Uh, we're expected to be very productive. You know, we're expected to have our prime years. So, you know, when you were identifying depression, and I'm, I'm really interested in this, like how were you able to identify signs of depression? The signs of depression um, depend on the category of people in depression. There are three categories of people in depression. The first category is, the, I call it the prisoner of depression, okay? These are people um, suicidal, like I was at the age of 19. And these are people alcoholics, like my mom was, right? These are people who have insomnias for years. Um, I suffer from that two and a half years. Back problems, all kind of health problems. Then we are the warriors of depression. The warriors of depression, they ignore depression because they don't have a choice. They have to make a living, they have to raise their family, they have to go to work, right? So keeping occupied gives them a sense of purpose and they just ignore the pain, okay? So these are um, two categories. The third category are the magician chained by depression. I call them like that because they're so, so close to getting out. Nevertheless, they can't do it by themselves. They need a little bit of guidance. They're usually you find them single all the time at a specific age, like in their 50s, they're already you know, settled, right? They're already fine, but they're just alone all the time, alone, right? Or you go to all these fitness centers where you see people, you know, oh, they're very fit, they look really good. You would never approach one though, right? because there is, they, they, they put up walls to defend themselves. So, you know, so these are three categories. So depending on um, which category we're talking about, I think I already gave you a couple of signs of how to recognize them. That's a very interesting example, right? Like we always in encounter people that on the onset look fine and in, in fact look great, you know, like physically in great shape. Um, you know, look great, pretty, beautiful, whatever it ends up being, but there's a lot beneath that, that core. And I think that's something that our generation struggles with a lot because, you know, Instagram and TikTok have made everything so in front of our, our faces, you know, oftentimes my wife and I would have, would see ourselves lying down in bed and just scrolling through the infinite feeds and that can make us depressed right? Like just looking at that and feeling, well, my highlight reel doesn't compare to their highlight reel. Yes, but you have to understand that beneath it sometimes, even beneath a smile, there is a lot, a lot of pain. So in, in my job, I can recognize who is in pain and who is not after how they smile, right? Nevertheless, most people don't, don't know how to recognize that. And you always have the impression that, oh, you know, these people are happier than me. These people are better than me. But there is, there is a catch here. First of all, um, those people, you know, did some work on themselves, okay, to get there. For example, everybody says, you're so happy now. Yeah, you have no clue what I've been through, <laughs> right? I had a, a lifetime of suffering. So yeah, I'm happy now, right? I did a lot of work on that. And the second thing, you can be like that you can actually reach there. If somebody else made it there, so can you. So looking at these two options here, right? There is always, always a hope. I, it was a time when I thought that happiness is only in movies. 
right? Now I can't believe I wake up happy every day, right? So these, these kind of changes happen. Nevertheless, you, you cannot just consider yourself broken and quit on yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the key part is like continuously reaffirming yourself and, you know, to, to in order to help others and something that I see in you is like you're in order to help others, you have to help yourself first. Um, so, you know, this goes into some of the things that in on the daily that I see as well. And a lot of people have also, you know, I, I always engage my friends in this type of debate because a lot of times I see that male friends and a lot of my male colleagues and uh, just general network, we don't talk about mental health as much. And I'm not sure it's if it's too generic or too broad strokish, but do you see a difference in between uh, in the ways uh, how between how men and women handle depression? Um, or or is it like, as you mentioned, as you know, according to the three signs that you first uh, talked about? So a lot of people consider depression and mental illness. Mm. I don't. And the reason why I don't consider it like that is because I was depressed since the age of eight. Okay. Where the culmination of 38, when I just, you know, uh, I almost died from the conditions that give, they're, they're, they're coming to you because you have depression. Physical conditions and stress will sit on your body until, you know, the organs will start exploding and, you know, losing it, right? Because they can't, they can't keep uh, the pressure. And at some point, you know, you have to make a choice, right? You gotta go on pills, medications for the rest of your life, or you have to release that emotional wounding. For me, depression is deep, heavy, and unresolved emotional wounding. And there are actual, actually there are five emotional wounds that most people suffer from, 100% of people suffer from. The first one is rejection. The second one is abandonment. The third one is humiliation. Betrayal will be the fourth one. And injustice will be the fifth one. For men, they embrace injustice more than women, okay? Because they said, okay, world is unjust. This is how it has to be. And I'll just grin and bear it because I'm a man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. I've seen that all too much. Exactly. So practically how I define depression is sorrow in your heart. And what most people don't know is that it's removable with skills and strategies. Great. And, and I think you hit the nail on the head on that one. I feel like injustice is all around us. And there is a lot of like, I would say, male energy going around the aggression side of, of handling it. If you look at social media and if you look at uh, a lot of stuff on the internet. So I, I like that you broke it down into rejection, abandonment, humiliation, betrayal, injustice. I think there's a lot to unpack there, but I mean, I wanna just track back into stress because I think that's something that most people can relate to. And I think stress overlaps into all of those uh, five things, you know, where when you're talking about work, when you're talking about your personal life, um, the pandemic that's going on and still recovering, how do you think that, you know, the role of stress, how, what do you think has happened in the last two years? Do you think people forget that stress is more important to tackle than, you know, you know getting the perfect uh, score in your test or doing perfectly well at work? 
So the way I approach it is that if you are emotionally balanced, stress cannot exist in your life. Okay. And stress sometimes comes from a fear of failure, where every single failure is just feedback of how, what do you have to do to change. So if we look at this and we're navigating life, like not fighting with it, but like learning how to surf with it, then we enjoy the wave and there is no stress. But if we keep fighting it always, but all the time, because there is a lot of emotions in there that we've never fixed, like fear and anger and worry, and we never fix them in the past, so we know we have no clue how to fix them in the future, no wonder stress creeps in at every corner of your life. Yeah. Doing, for example, what you do in your job, that's a pleasure to go to work. That's not stress. Absolutely. And, and I was one of the, the few people that I remember, uh, you know, when I was growing up that in my own cohort that I think I, I recognized that at an early age. But I think when, when you talk about that when you're young, um, oftentimes other kids, uh, as you're growing up in your adolescence, that doesn't get re recognized as quickly. You know, I, I, people toss it aside. Um, with people who are younger, and I want to focus more on youth right now because I feel like you do identify it, as you said, at a younger age. You understand your mind better. You know, what are the signs of early stress and anxiety that, you know, we can avoid um, and, you know, make, make the world a little bit more harmonious? Because ultimately, I think, you know, like you said, it's about finding that emotional center, that emotional balance. But when you're young and there's expectations on you, how is it that we can arrive at that conclusion? So two things that I would like to address here. First of all, there are expectations on you, okay? I know people who never finished high schools and they're billionaires, okay? A lot of times these expectations come from families that, you know, they're also stressed out. They're also depressed. They're warriors of depression. And they don't understand that, you know, the old fashioned way of going to college is not necessarily what's going to give you a job tomorrow. Right. So number one. Number two, a lot of people are complaining in schools about bullying. And I think this is very important. Because if you look like bullying in a different perspective, like that person that bullies you is more hurt probably than you are, okay? That already sheds light of what kind of pain I am in, what kind of pain they're in. And as you cannot solve somebody else's pain without permission, at least you can solve yours. You can step into a different energy. So these two things are the most stressful for kids. And sometimes children put stress on themselves. And for example, I was the best student out there. And the reason why I was the best student out there is because I just wanted my mom to be so proud of me and stop drinking. 
I put a tremendous pressure on myself to even, you know, go to two universities in the same time when I was already not be able to sleep for two and a half years and I had insomnias and headaches and all of that. So I put pressure on myself because I wanted something that I could not control. So these kind of pressures, either they're coming from the family or they're coming from hurt people or they're coming from yourselves. These are how you see the world when everybody around you is hurt, including yourself. Once you step out of it, the world is totally different. Does this make sense, Ashish? Yeah, I, I agree with you. And honestly, it's, a, it's about knowing when to step out because... I find that it's easier to get lost as well. Um, and, you know, speaking from personal experience, I didn't have parents that were too strict, uh, but I knew other friends that had parents like that. Um, they would put just enough motivation. And to me, they're perfect parents, right? But I didn't have the motivation internally. And it was tough for me to find purpose at a young age when, you know, I had affirmations of, you know, a fun lifestyle. I got out of... Uh, I was lucky enough, you know, to not be in a sloggy sort of uh, environment in high school. I, I was raised in an international school. Um, so I came to Canada and, you know, things were very different here where they recognize your personality for work. They recognize other right-brained characteristics that are subjective. But in not many parts of the world, you know, it's different. It's like you have to be the best, like, as you mentioned. Um, so, you know, I, find myself, I found myself lucky, but I didn't have purpose. So, you know, I'm curious what you think about finding purpose. Do you think, you know, sometimes people hit a wall when they recognize depression, they're not in denial anymore, but they hit a wall because they don't have purpose, right? So when you don't have purpose, sometimes, most of the times, purpose comes after the age of 29, okay? So we're, we're, we're eager to drink before that, we're eager to drive, to get married before that, but... The purpose actually comes after the age of 29. So guys, there is no rush, okay, to find your purpose. If even you're confused after that age, right, there are two things that you need, either more information or more healing. You see, what if your purpose today, Ashish, is to be a president of a country, but you don't have any speaking skills, which actually you do on the radio, right? But on the stage, maybe you don't know how to speak on a stage. Maybe you're freaking out when you see 10,000 people in front of you. But the universe can't give you a purpose. You're not ready, right? What if the purpose of your life is to be a CEO of a very successful company, but you still have problems with your own emotional balance, okay? How are you going to handle Three million people that are coming to complain and they all have their problems and their divorces and their, you know, all, all the problems in the world with their kids, with their spouse, right? When you can't handle your own emotional balance. Okay. So this is why I said there is more information, which is more skills to learn, more skills you learn, you can navigate which one you need. And there's skills out there that are just perennial, you're always going to use them, right? And uh, you need more healing. You need to uh, address your emotional balance. And the purpose in life comes to you. My purpose in life came 
uh, after the age of 38, after I overcame depression, and I asked myself why my mom died, why I suffered for 27 years. And then the purpose came because now you can tell people how to get out of this condition. I'm so glad you mentioned healing because I think sometimes we all think we're beyond healing. Sometimes people don't realize they need healing. Um, and it's one of those things that when, a, a lot of uh, my friends, and they've told me this when they feel depressed and they see me being positive. And, you know, sometimes as a friend, all you can do is be positive. But to them, they see a mountain and they see a mountain that is insurmountable because there's a lot of, like you said, underlying issues there that they need to address. But I think you've hit the nail on the head with regards to healing because that needs to come internally. And a lot of people that are, you know, hurt for generations, like I was three generations. Yes, I thought I'm beyond healing too. Until I realized that they're just skills and strategies that you have to use. And this is it. It, it just takes a couple of months and it erases like 27 years of pain, all right? So because we don't know what we don't know, a lot of times our mind plays defensive. Mm -hmm. You don't understand my story. Right. My depression is different. You don't understand me. Well, there are people who got out of it. There are people who can guide you. You just have to find them and ask. Sometimes it's that simple. And it's sometimes, as you said, it's knowing when to ask for help. Um, you know, being around cultures that sometimes don't recognize that asking for help is important. Um, I grew up in a lot of environments where, you know, asking for help could seem weak, you know, um, unless it's networking. Well, for a job, it's okay, but for your personal life, not so much, you know. And um, I live in Toronto. It's a very, you know, big major city. But a lot of times people say it's a very cold city, not just because temperatures, but mostly because people don't reach out and have deep conversations um, as much. You know, some cities are known for that. People just strike up a conversation. There's social uh, back and forth. Um, and, you know, if you were to look at, you know, self-actualization as like a, a key goal, I don't think many people in big cities see that, you know, and when you're a single professional working your way up, it could be tough to find those deep, deep connections. How could you, you know, what's a, some advice you may have for those who are looking for connections, who are looking for people that are going beyond surface level connections, looking for friendships? How does that happen when you're an adult? Like, it's not easy, right? It's not easy because you're hurt. And you put all kinds of defense mechanisms out there. It's also not easy because you attract who you are. So if there are some pain and hurts, like the five emotional wounds I was telling you about, you're going to attract other people with the same emotional wounds, right? So it's very, very easy to be happy with yourself once you know how. And then about the friends, you have to understand that your childhood friend, now that you're at the age of 45, okay, it does not match the needs you both had at level of high school. And it's okay to let that go. 
It's okay to not talk every day, right? So as you are growing, so your friends will change. So the best advice I can give you is like, who do you want to be? If you want to be somebody, let's say, very successful that makes a lot of money, right? Go on that bunch of people. Meet them, even virtually, even in groups, right? If, if you stay at the same level, you will never grow and you will never have meaningful conversations because people don't grow at the same pace, they grow at different pace. So one of my mentors said, if you have the same friends for than you had for the last 30 years, that is something wrong. You haven't grown enough. So looking for friendship just to hold on to something, to control something, like I have somebody to complain to, okay? It only puts more pressure on the other person that needs to listen to you. Or sometimes, I have people who come to me, I'm depressed. It's like, you're not. You just took the depression from somebody else. And that's possible too energetically. Okay. So I, I do not suggest that you find meaningful relationships until you, you don't understand that, you know, there is always a healing place. And if they're not at the same level with you, go upper, go upper, grow up, find another bunch. Even if they're not your, you know, maybe your worst most stupid one in all the smart ones. It's okay, you're gonna go. It's all right. And, and that's key because I've also, uh, you know, seen that misery loves company. So before, like you said, if you, if you head out and do that before you do the healing, self-healing, you might find yourself in another toxic environment, as you mentioned. So, you know, it's easier to identify at work because, you know, you sometimes don't have a choice to be around certain people, but how do you get rid of a, a toxic friendship or, a, you know, toxic family member? Like not, you can't get rid of them in the same sense, but how is it that you, you know, it's not like, how do you cross that bridge? How do you even tell yourself and then tell the other person that this is not the time? Okay. So, the, the reason why you're, you have a toxic relationship around you that includes your parents is, is two reasons, right? First of all, you hurt, okay? Second of all, they're hurt. And here is how it crashes. And now you understand that two people hurt will end up in a toxic relationship, right? There are two ways to approach this. If you are going through a level of healing where you understand your pain and the others, you can stay in that relationship and see it, see the pain, see the hurt. And that will accelerate your healing, actually, because you see it. Or if you're not ready, you separate. Okay, you absolutely separate, even if it's your mom, she's eight years old and you feel bad about it. Okay, mom, listen. I need a couple of months of, you know, deep introspection about me, about understanding what, you know, triggers me when you speak about what happened eight years ago, right? Because it's not my life, that's what triggers me, I don't care, right? And uh, things like this that, you know, you first separate and then you go back and see, you know, what happens. Because as you are changing, the puzzle of a world will change too. 
It takes only us not to control others to change and everything changes. When I changed, everything changed. My son will never be depressed, will never slip in depression, okay? All my toxic friends disappeared, including my ex-husband. He just moved out one day. I'm like, what happened? It just took off, right? It doesn't match with you anymore. You're not entertaining their pain because now you understand everyone is responsible for their own emotional wounding. You're not responsible for somebody else's. And this is it. And this is like game over. You will never see a toxic person in your life. That's a very important point. You can't help somebody who doesn't want to help themselves, right? And sometimes, um, you know, you see pain and, you know, you might have the need to help them, but, you know, if they, if they exude toxicity, then it might just impact you more. If you want to help others for like free, just to give them everything you have, that's a symptom of that you are depressed. It's a very good point. I think a lot of people do that. And, and like, there's like these, you know, it's a, it's a circle that kind of creates more toxicity at the end. That's yeah, because like, you know, I want, I want to do so much for you, but I never asked for it, honey. I never asked for it. Why do you want to do it for me? Do you not understand? You never, you know, you never give me back. Of course not. I never asked for it from the first place. And now I'm taking you for granted. Right? So it's like frustrating. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's silent. Like, no, 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 I don't want anything. Yes, you do. You want love. You want attention. Yes, you do. It's not always anything. Okay? Okay. So, you know, these kind of things are just like underneath of what people really think, of what really people do. And as you catch yourself in, you know, helping others without nothing to gain off it, you also catch yourself like, oh, this person forgot to call me today. Oh, I gave too much. Step back. And when you notice like, you know, the world around you, for example, I mean, we're talking about emotional intelligence. It's a big topic of conversation. But, and, and many people will agree, like I can have my whole family agree that it's great. But when the corporate life doesn't sort of match up to that, we often get sidetracked and we're like, well, nothing will ever change because we can't control that, right? Um, how is it that, you know, people, what's the best sort of mindset to have when going into something you don't agree with? Sometimes you just have to do something that pays the bills. Uh, how do you stay focused and centered and emotionally intelligent without losing, you know, that sense of positivity. So when you have to do something you don't agree with, okay, ask yourself, why are you in that position? What are you afraid of? Changing jobs? Are you afraid of more freedom? Usually people are afraid of two things, freedom and change, okay? Now, you have to understand that, you know, very successful people in the world will do things they don't like because guess what? I don't care as long as money is coming, right? And that's totally fine, okay? But ask yourself, what are you truly afraid of? Changes or freedom? Make your own rules in life. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you don't have to, you know, sign something that the boss wants you to sign, even if you don't like it, right? 
but you still have out there a certain position. You can put your best argument. And if it doesn't work, let it go. Don't try to control it. Don't try to be angry. That anger that you bring back into your family, okay, will put everybody in disarray emotionally. And you don't even realize it because you're probably not even going to even say it, right? But you brought in the feeling. You brought in the energy. And sometimes you even see this on, um, on social media. You see people angry, worried, depressed, right? And you don't understand why just your mood has changed because you took it. You practically took it. And that's happened more and more if, you know, just because of the last couple of years, most of our communication has been online and that sort of limits the amount of communication we can have in person. You know, I always like go back to the fact that about it, like a, the majority of communication is body language and, and something that's missing online is exactly that, right? Tone, body language. So if you just see a bunch of words, it's very easy to get upset. It's very easy to get angry. And I've been there and, you know, it's, it's being online in that space is, it's very tough to navigate. It's like you're in a, you know, highway where everybody's speeding and you're just following the speed limit. Um, and, you know, you're doing your best you can, you know, but like you said, if you do it, you stay safe, right? You're just protecting yourself at the end of the day. So Ashish, what I suggest in these kind of circumstances is, you know, when you look at certain words or certain posts, I'm like, okay, these people are hurt. This is not my pain. That's it. Don't have to answer. Don't have to put energy. Like, I'm so sorry, honey. Once you said that or you wrote that, this is it. You took a piece of that within you. Okay. So these people are hurt. This is not my problem. I can't help them. Right. We all jumping there to help all the time, all the time, all the time to realize that people don't listen unless they pay for a course to learn how to come depression. Okay. That is, you know, something that when they come in and they say, I want this and I need to learn and I am sick of being sick of tired, you know, in, in, in these circumstances of being sick of pain, then they listen. They're not going to listen to just people, random people. Okay. So you have to understand that just, this is not your pain. There is nothing you can control. The only thing you can control is not to bring that in, into your family, into your life. And that's, that's very key is, you know, try to stay away from things we can't control. And um, one of the things that I saw about your profile and, and you mentioned this, you know, a few times as well as identifying uh, negative emotions. You know, when you spoke about anger, um, that's something that we all resonate with, but also a lot of people are proud of their anger. A lot of people, and then in movies and media, you know, we saw, sort of look at angry people and we uh, make them, you know, fantasize about how great that anger has helped them and motivated them. You know, what is it in reality? Like in reality, do we need just a little bit or can we stay away from it entirely? So anger is a moving emotion. Without being angry, you're never gonna find a job. You're never gonna have a family. You're not gonna do anything. But what are you angry at? 
when you're angry at yourself because you haven't do something and you go do it, that's the way to go. That's the way to use it. When I was 38 and I found out, you know, that I'm going to die from the same disease. My mom died at 55. I said, okay, what if I don't make it 17 more years? I was angry. Okay. And I changed my life within seven months, right? I was very, very, very angry. Now, I used to be angry at politics. I used to be angry at different people, like, you know, um, at, uh, uh, you know, all the society out there. Why? Because I can't control them? No, I cannot. So ask yourself what you're angry at. And if you are angry at yourself, here it is the fuel to change your life, that anger. If you're angry at anything else around you, your spouse, your children, you know, the boss, the company, uh, you have a problem. That will put you in depression because you're not gonna be able to control it. So I understand there is this misconception about anger, but if you're angry at yourself and you're changing your life, that's something to be proud of. If you're angry at anything else or anyone else, that's not something to be proud of. <laughs> That's a very, very uh, good way of looking at it too, because it, it helps you categorize things you can control and things you can't. And that comes down to a lot of things in today's world where, you know, uh, outside of our, our um, corporate lives, let's just say like in our personal life, you know, when you're at home, most of the time with your partner or just your family, it's it's very easy to get cooped up and get cabin fever when you're, you know, quarantined or like, you know, not basically moving, not seeing your family for a long time. So I think it's a very important message for those, you know, who, who can relate that, you know, these are like crazy circumstances that are out of our control. And if we're angry at that, like you said, then there's a problem that we need to identify within ourselves. Ashish, let's, let's face it, okay, this, this uh, virus situation that we've had for the last uh, few good months, right, it only unraveled how hurt we all are. Totally. Okay. Now, let's, what if this continues for another 80 years of our life? What are we going to be angry at? Going to start chasing viruses around? <laughs> okay. So... This has only brought us to stop being so busy and ignoring your pain and your emotions. Stop, stop everything. The world will stop. And now you have time to figure it out why you hurt and how to heal it. I'm, I'm so glad that this is something that uh, we're talking about. It's just like talking about it is therapeutic. Um, and I, and I, what do you think about having this kind of conversation uh, with your loved ones, with your friends? Do you think we should be doing this more often, having a deeper conversation about our mental thoughts? Do you think that in itself, you know, is better than how's the weather? You know, how's it going? Like, oh, the world is ending soon. You know, I feel like this kind of substantive conversation is just leads to better uh, thought process at the end of the day. Yes, it does lead to a better thought process and it brings realizations, but that doesn't bring healing. And the reason why it doesn't bring healing is because, you know, therapy didn't heal anybody, <laughs> right? It makes you feel a little bit better, take a little bit of pain off your chest, 
but be careful not to give it to the person you're talking to because it's very easy to do that. The reason why I don't suggest just only talking around is because we don't realize that, you know, how hurt we are and we don't know how to protect ourselves from other people's hurt a lot of times, right? So the easiest way that I suggest uh, to my clients that are married and one of them goes through a depression program to get out and the other one does not, is it just, just, just keep yourself a little bit isolated for a couple of weeks. It's just a couple of weeks. Don't tell that person, you know, everything that happened in your childhood and all of us hurt and pain and why you're crying right now and all of that because you're going through healing and that's going to disappear. You really don't want that person to take upon them part of that pain. Very so, important. Yeah, this is very important because a lot of people end up depressed by absorption. Okay. At a client, she was not depressed because of her family and what happened in her childhood. She was depressed because her cousins were abused. And in her mind, she said, okay, who's going to protect me now if nobody protects my cousins, right? So a lot of times we don't understand that we take pain from other places, especially kids, young kids, they take pain from their parents, from their grandparents, and we don't know how to protect ourselves because they don't know how to fix it. <laughs> if they would have known how to fix it, it wouldn't be there, right? So these kind of things, it's careful what you're talking about. There is nothing wrong with your mental thoughts, by the way, absolutely nothing wrong with them. It's just a matter of sorrow. It's just a matter of sorrow. And when we're talking about coping mechanisms, and, and I think, you know, it, it can be a slippery slope um, because people use, you know, alcohol, drugs to, to cope. Um, how is it that, again, identifying you know, what, what level of coping do we need? How easy is it to like enter that slippery slope, but also like, isn't coping like just a natural way of, of dealing with this? Uh, don't people just, won't people just always end up in some sort of a slippery slope? Cause I feel like there are some genetic factors that lead to some people having addictive personalities, but what can we do to address that and stop that? So I never suggest any kind of coping mechanism for what I do when I um, help people overcome depression because more you cope, if you don't suffer enough, you're going to think that you can suffer some more. Okay. So there are coping ways with, you know, the depression and anxiety, like energetic exercises and, you know, some people choose the drugs and alcohol, right? And there are insulating skills that help you to, you know, set up your mindset properly. Understand that your mind will always try to trick you. Okay, so the first thing that I, I hear from people is like, oh, you were able to overcome your depression, but I won't be able to. Why? Why what's different between me and you? How many heads do I have and you don't, right? So these are coping mechanisms or other ones is like everyone is broken. Uh, why? Because you can't accept that everyone is not broken and you haven't taken the steps to not be broken anymore. So we have to always understand that our mind is, is playing defensive all of the time. And the reason why it does that, because it doesn't know how to heal the pain in our heart. 
If it would have known that already, it would have done it. Right? Nobody would ever be hurt. Honey, do this, 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 and that's it. So then it's just like, you're just like a, a little cocoon where you don't know what you don't know. And your world is just a cocoon because you've never seen anything else. So once you start catching up these self-sabotaging mechanisms with your mind, you can befriend your mind and tell it, honey, I know. I, we don't know anything. We're going to go and find out. Come on, we want to be happy. And this is it. This is it. This is how you make the connection. Being afraid of learning something new, but on the other side, it's like, come on, come with me. Come with me. I need you. I need to learn something new. It's okay if we're afraid. We'll figure it out later. Okay. So things like this that um, a lot of times we get caught into, I know it all, and this is not possible. And who said that? Who said that? Why do you fool yourself with that? I mean, I always liken this to going to the gym, right? Like when you go to the gym on your own and you lift weights, you can hurt yourself without any any practice, right? And um, tons of people are DIY everything. I want to do everything myself. And I find that with mental health, it's just new uh, when people are now learning that they a, need to ask for help and B, that they need the right training and the right skills and strategies, as you mentioned, because anyone can give advice and anyone can tell you there might be something wrong with you or you might be needing some help, but it needs to be coming from the right person uh, in order to help you. When I overcame depression, it was nobody that I knew. There was no depression coach that I knew out there that you know overcame depression. So, but I was desperate. I didn't want my kid back in depression. I didn't want to live like that. I, I didn't want to. So I went and looked for mentors who have never been depressed. Okay. Well, you will be surprised how many people uh, are depressed <laughs> and they don't, they can't be mentors for, you know, in this kind of circumstances. But I did find, you know, uh, four people that they've never been depressed in their lifetime. And I start asking questions. I start asking, how do you think? Why do I think this way? And you think a different way. Well, you've never been depressed. So I'll take your thinking. I'm sorry, forget about mine. I'm sad, right? And then I started to figure it out that there is a different game we play. We play a different game in depression and in sadness. We play a different game when we get out of it. We play a different game when we're out of it. We play a different game when we want to grow to the next level. It's just if you don't know the games, you don't know the rules, you can't play it. Solid. Honestly, this is fantastic. And before um, I let you go, I know you're very busy. I just wanted to ask you one last uh, question. And this is something that, you know, honestly, uh, I'm sure you probably already have an answer for, but what is something that you know you'd want uh, to to basically listeners to take away from this? What's the biggest takeaway from you know identifying signs of depression and dealing with it? Don't ignore your hurt and pain. It will always come and you know knock you out. 
just it will come and knock you out out of nowhere and you won't understand but I was fine until now no you are not don't ignore it and I know why you want to ignore it because you're afraid of not being able to solve it right now we figured out ways to solve this with no medicine no therapy and just you know to skills and specific strategies and that takes only a couple of months for some people it takes a couple of weeks don't ignore it because it will only go back to your children sooner or later okay it will go back to the world open up to understand that okay you hurt i don't know how to fix it i will find the right mentors this is it and everything doesn't matter what you've been through how if we had we have clients 70 years old that were in pain for 70 years everything is fixable at the pain level if you want to fix it because nobody can tell you what to do with your life wonderful it's it's a phenomenal message and i'm just so happy that uh we got to chat because i mean it opened my mind to a lot of things and I, I really certainly hope those listening would uh, relate to it and learn more and, and understand that there are skills and strategies there to, to help yourself. Anytime you want me back, Ashish. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. Take care. Thank you, Ashish. <laughs>